Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hotcast. I am your host, Chicago Fire editor, uh, managing editor, sorry, for Hot Time in Old Town, Ruben Titian. Joining me, as always, it's RJ. RJ, uh, despite the same things happening over and over again, there's a lot to talk about today. Um, first of all, how are you doing? Let's start there. Well, I just ate some really... Look, I just needed a quick pizza fix, all right? So I went down to my local uh, convenience store establishment, and uh, I got some pizza. And um, needless to say, after one bite, I went to the washroom really fast. So I'm not I'm not in the best of condition right now. Um, what well, about sure. you? Hey, hey, why wouldn't you get a frozen pizza? And B... Why? Just why? I just I just got back from work. You know, that nine to five grind, but on a Sunday. And I just I just I just wanted a pizza. I just wanted something really fast, right? And you know. <laughs> are we still talking about the pizza? Are we gonna talk about we're we're talking about the fire now, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think you have successfully transitioned us into talking about the fire. Jesus Christ. Um I, I want to start first with the coaching, which is something we don't talk a lot about on this show because it's it's a little less tangible. Um, the direct involvement of coaching on on football matches, however, it was painfully clear that Ezra Hendrickson got out coached by Caleb Porter. First of all, that's that's sort of the first bullet point I wanted to go over because I've had this theory for a long time that MLS and uh, its various you know coaching mechanisms coaching is far more important in MLS than in other leagues because of the way rosters have to be put together with the salary cap and, and funny money and, you know, supplemental roster spots. And, and it's very complex. So the margins that coaching helps you with becomes of the utmost importance when all the teams are basically around similar talent levels, aside from one or two outliers. So... My question to you, I guess, is do you agree with me on that philosophy, A, and B, that Ezra Hendrickson was the reason why the fire lost last night, or Saturday night? I'll start with A first. I do agree with you, Um, despite, you know, the memes, the naysayers around MLS. MLS... And, you know, I'm not saying this because out of bias or anything. No, but MLS is legitimately a tough lady to crack. I mean, yeah, anyone can win because that's how the league is structured. But at the same time, you need to know how the league operates. And then I I don't want to, you know, dive into this. But, you know, this also applies to how the team is run as well. Not only, you know, through tactics out in the field, but overall through 
just how the club is run. And, you know, say what you still say what you want to say about Nelson Rodriguez, but, you know, he was a shrewd man who knew the ins and outs of MLS. Uh, then I think you know where I'm going with this, and I'm pretty sure the listeners know where I'm going with this as well, but take a look at the current general manager of um of the Chicago Fire. He knows nothing about this league. I mean, yes, he has made some pretty good signings, you know, Raphael Seashows, uh, and I'm sorry for butchering your name right now. I'm not in the best conditions uh, if you're listening to this, Raphael, but um, no, I mean, you, you need to know the league. And you need to be smart with the league. You need to know the ins and outs. You need to know tactics because, like what you said, you know, apart from a few superstars here and there, everyone's on the same playing level. And even if you have those superstars, if you don't know how to u- utilize the rest of the team, then that basically negates, you know, having that superstar. Just, you know, take a look at the fire right now. Oh, yeah. Um. So... Uh, do you want me to go with number with B number B? Oh my god! Yes, um, go go with number B. Yeah. All right. So with number B, that should be the title of this episode. Um, Let's talk about Ezra because I I I think while you're right about um the front office, we'll get to that later in the show. That's like the big macro topic here. I just want to focus for real quick on the game against Columbus. Which, in my opinion, Ezra Hendrickson blew. They should have won that game. So so I actually think it's, it's a mixture of both. I think Ezra, you know, got his tactics wrong. In the second which is, half. Yeah, you know, in the second half, which is a surprise since, you know, I've usually defended the man. Um, you know, in the last episodes, I, you know, I called and, you know, in reference to Shakiri being played as a number 10, I, I do think there might be some outside forces because, and I quote from the last episode um, a few weeks ago, you know, he, he's a smart man. He learned from the smartest, you know, minds of MLS. He knows his tactics, but for this game, it imploded, you know, to his face. And then along with the players as well, I think a lot of the players, on this squad, just lack the mentality. And because, you know, a lot of them are young. You know, they still have a lot of maturing, you know, get to. But they, I don't think, you know, you can lay the blame on just Ezra. I mean, yes, he had a lot to do with it. But it also boils down to the mentality of the players as well. And I, I think, you know, there was this uh, topic going on on Twitter right now where, uh, you know, Joseph Martinez basically called out, you know, his teammates and the Atlanta's front office. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris Mueller did something similar of that nature, but just not directly. But I think there needs I to be... About it. Yeah. yeah. There needs to be some vocal, you know, call out. I'm not saying, you know, go bully, you know, the rest of your teammates or whatever, but no, there just needs to be someone vocal to, you know, basically just call everyone out, including themselves. Um, yes, I, I, I would agree, um, except for the fact that the, the coaching difference was, was actually incredibly obvious. Um, I think that the the mentality, he, I, I think he lets the mentality of the players drop by 
not um, making the moves he needed to make, and the consequence was let it, the game got away from the the fire. Um, because after uh, they switched to a back four and and brought in Luis Diaz and and Derek Etienne, he waited too long to make the moves he needed to make and ended up not making the moves he needed to make. By the way, he only used three out of a possible five subs, which is another problem. Um, and he uh, he allowed Columbus to um, get control of the game by not bringing on, you know, defensive players yeah, you know, Navarro got torched two or three times early before any damage was done. At that point, you have to make a change at left back. Um, bring in Reynolds, who's more athletic, or Bornstein, who's got intelligence and, and experience to be able to see that out. Definitely, Fade should have been taken off after the first goal. Um, and not taking Fade out and putting Pineda in cost them the game essentially when Fade made a token lunge at a ball on offense uh, and uh, they were off to a break and uh, Columbus scored their winning goal off of that. So for me, it is clear where the blame for the loss goes in it's Ezra Hendrickson. I mean, there's, um, there's also the coaching staff as well. I mean, you know. For, for the- not recognizing it. Yeah, CJ Brown and, and Frank Lopez have to but we don't know if they told him and Ezra said, no, it's fine. Right? Like, well, we don't know. We don't know what the conversations on the bench are like. And I, I think that that applies to, you know, the mentality. I mean, someone needs to speak up. I mean, yes, we know, you know, Klopas isn't tactically the best when it comes to substitutions. But, you know, I think there just needs to be more people speaking up. I mean... I think the blame shares with everyone, and just not just Ezra. I mean, I, I'm i not defending Ezra here. I'm spreading the blame, you know, with everyone. You know, the coaching staff, Ezra, the players. I think there's a lot more to this collapse than just one man, because this was a collapse. And, like, I, I already knew, like, from the get-go, you know, that this game was going to be a wash. I could feel it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was also disappointed at the outcome. Um, you know, quoting, you know, Malcolm in the middle, uh, I forgot who said it was Dewey. It was like, I expected nothing, but I was still disappointed. Mm-hmm. That's that's basically how I felt. I mean, I, I really did expect nothing. I mean, those two goals, I was like, yeah, all right. But the fire going to fire. Yeah. Um, except, you know, had they kept playing, I I, I want to say had they kept playing, but there was no way for them to because of the Caleb Porter's tactical substitutions. They needed to change things in the second half, and they didn't. They didn't make the adjustments they needed to, and that's why they lost. Um, what I want to say about Ezra, though, is that we sort of knew that stuff like this was going to happen a few times over the course of the year because he is a first-time manager, right? Like, these are the things that happen when you have a first-time manager. And the fact of the matter is, it was always... The idea was that 
with a good enough roster, you can mitigate some of that. But clearly, the fire roster isn't good enough to uh, cancel out some of the mistakes from the bench. And, you know, this game, the Toronto game where they dropped points after going up, what was it, 3-1 or whatever it was. Um, also a John Duran game, by the way. Uh, and, uh, you know, these things are going to happen with a rookie manager. Um, and, and I guess this goes back to ownership where they didn't give him a good enough roster because the first couple of transfer windows weren't good enough. I think that... I think if the fan base was... had the ability to be more patient, you would see that George Heinz's transfer windows are trending upward, right? He had a, he had a, he had a disastrous transfer window... <laughs> A bad transfer window, and I'd actually say this winner was pretty good. So, um, I, I mean, I he has not recovered from his um, first couple disastrous transfer windows, so he probably deserves to um, not have his his contract renewed if that's the case, or not be brought back going into next season. Um, but he does leave the club in a better place than he found it, ultimately, I think. You know, I think after that, the loss against Omaha, I, I've, I wrote out this season already. So sure. I think, at least for me, and I'm speaking for me only because, um, but I think, he yeah. deserves at least the winner transfer window. On the okay. condition, though, the club gets someone with an MLS background to help him out. Right. That was his big error, I think, was they didn't get him an assistant who knows the league. Uh, Otherwise, I, I do partially agree with you. I mean, um, I'm still not a fan of his, uh, you know, dartboard scouting where – you know, he just throws a dart and a map, and it's like, oh, what's what's looking Lithuania over here? But um, uh huh. I, I think because this season, this season is basically a wash, and I will, you know, proudly proclaim, proclaim ugh, I can't speak right now. Proclaim that right now. It's sure. the it's the Seven Eleven pizza getting in my head. Um, you know, give him this summer, give him this yeah. winter with someone like you know. Uh-huh. With the backing of someone else, um, if next season in the beginning part of the next season doesn't work out, then that's when you know Mansueto should send him back to Switzerland. Uh, I would tend to agree. Um, I really would. But let's talk about some positives from the game because there were some. Uh, you, you're giving me a look like. Uh, look, I, look I've, I I hate to be a contrarian. Like I I hate being a contrarian. Like for. This whole podcast, it's just that. So you don't think John Duran played well? No, he played well. But then, Which is like where I, I said, it, it, I want to talk about John Duran. Well, well let, let me get my opinion first on Duran. Okay. Like I said, he played well. But in previous episodes, like I said, he lets his emotions get to him. Right. And you, you basically saw that when he committed that stupid foul at 
second half, I believe. Yeah, but uh, no, actually, it was in the first half. First so it, half. it, yeah, it was the first half. But but I don't think that was his emotions getting it. it. It was after the fact, but I think he was just trying to make a play, and he just made a clumsy challenge because he's a forward, and forwards make clumsy challenges because they're not practiced at it. You know what I mean? Like like a forward can't do what Carlos Tehran. Speaking of guys who had a very good game, Carlos Tehran actually had a very good game as well. Like like. There are positives um, to take from the game on an individual player basis. Like like we spoke about Duran. We, uh, Gutierrez had another fantastic game as long as he was out there. Um, he had a sequence which didn't end up as a goal where he like nutmegged a guy and then caught a deflected pass with like a flicky back heel that made its way over to a fire player. So they kept possession and momentum going forward. And it was like one of the greatest things I've ever seen uh, in a, from an American, like technique wise. Uh, Chris Mueller got a goal in, and an assist. Uh, that, that kick, that corner kick was great. Um, she has, you know, beat everybody to the ball. Where she has scored, it was off a corner. It was a short corner. I thought it was Duran's assist for she has. No, Duran's assist was Miller. Okay. Yeah, and so going forward, you know, the young players got the job done in the first half. Essentially, like what have we been saying over the last several games, right? the fire don't take advantage of their chances early enough to be in games late today. They did. So if you can get everything together, the defensive performance, the goalkeeping performance and this attacking performance, by the way, uh, Duran and Gutierrez need to start again against Toronto on Wednesday. Um, like, they're probably not making the playoffs, but you could get some wins and make yourself as a, as an organization and as a team feel better going into 2023, right? And, and that's sort of what we're doing now. So, so we're at that point where you just play the kids. Sure. Call up Omari Glasgow and have him get some minutes too. Why not? He's tearing it up at MLS next too. So, or MLS Next Pro for Fire 2, right? So, yeah. so it's, uh, I, I think it's good. You know, I, I think, you know, and I said that earlier in jest, but I legitimately do believe it. I think at this point you should play the kids. And I think, you know, for Fire fans out there, I think you should, uh, just accept it that the season's a wash. And, you know, once you accept that oh, yeah. season's a wash, you can enjoy what the oh. younger folks are putting mm-hmm. out on the pitch. I mean, yeah, totally you, I mean, you probably won't see that much fire wins, but at least, you know, the football will be pretty. And that's, you know, some consolation. I, I will say I was very entertained by the game last night. Uh, last night we're recording this Sunday night. So if I screw that up somewhere, don't be surprised. 
on Saturday night. Um, up until the fire lost and it got frustrating, but like it was a very entertaining, high quality MLS match. Like the the play of both teams. Like, you can obviously see that both teams, talent-wise, are better than their records should be. Like, through the first 80 minutes, you can see, like, the fire were... The fire in Columbus should be up there. Obviously, the fire beat Philadelphia. Um, so, obviously, you know, they should... They're, talent-wise, they're up there. Um... But that that's what I took out of it is that the fire are capable of playing fun soccer and they're probably out of the playoff run. So when they do play fun soccer, we should just enjoy it. I, I have come to that conclusion. I think we all have. Yeah, I, mean, I may I may feel differently. I may have a more downward view of it. But no, I think everyone should just accept the fact that, you know, the fire are going nowhere this season, but, you know, just enjoy a lot of, you know, the future, you know, pro- or I shouldn't say prospects at this point, a lot of future stars. So, um, so I was looking at the fire roster and, and, and the fire two roster uh, today, cause I was bored. And uh, so here, here is my projected starting 11 in 2024. Are you ready for this? Sure. Let's hear this hot take. So Chris Brady, Andre Reynolds, Shikos, Tehran, right back they sign in the offseason at some point. New right back, right? Because they need an upgrade. Maybe John Espinosa's the guy. Maybe he's not. He does tend to um, shut off mentally occasionally during games, but is pretty quality. Um, he also has a tendency to try and do too much when he has the ball that can be fixed, but whether it's Espinoza or someone else at right back, then you've got potentially Mauricio Pineda and Fade, or if they move on from Fade, someone else. Then the exciting part up top, uh, the, the top three, you've got Mueller, you've got Brian Gutierrez, You've got Omari Glasgow, and at striker, you have John Duran. That's an exciting lineup to me, for me, at this point in two years. What do you think? Does that do anything well, for you? I mean, I, I don't want to think that far. I I, um, I actually have a glimmer of hope next season, just depending on a lot of factors. And um, I actually see this squad... Like this current squad, yeah, you know, going to its full potential next season. So I don't want to talk about. Well, if if Sheridan Shakiri follows the Goss formula, if you don't know what that is, David Goss, a MLSsoccer.com writer, podcaster guy, has this theory that um, because of the nature of MLS and not just on the field, but the travel. Um, including long plane rides and traveling um, public and not chartered flights, Um, you know, stuff like that, adjusting to playing in the Texas heat and the Florida humidity and stuff like that. It takes European players about a year to get used to the league. 
if that's true, Sheridan Shakiri should be the best player in the league next year. You know, I I've heard of that theory. At the same time, I also don't buy it because a lot of these Europeans who come over play UCL, UEL, and UCEL, and you know that that brings them all over Europe. I mean, yes, it's not in a week by week basis, but of course, you can be in the hot humidity of a Sicily. Next thing you know, you'll be in like in the cold, dark regions of like um, Estonia. So, Nobody. when has an Estonian team ever played in Europe? It's it's like in the you know in the UCL, you know in the early stages in like the pits of summer. I mean, you know when when you have Lincoln Red Imps against Celtic. I mean, fine, fair, but like. But you, but you know what I mean. I mean, sure, but but uh, like uh, the examples, like Rob, it took Robbie Keane a year. You know what I mean? It took David Beckham a year, pretty much. Uh, the, the only players it really doesn't seem to affect are players from the this part of the earth. You know, the, your South Americans who come from Europe, your uh, you know Concacaf players who've come in from Europe. Um. But like the European Europeans, I mean, uh, it, it, it it takes them a while to get acclimated to the United States. Schweinsteiger came in running on the ground. I mean, he he. Yeah, but he, but Schweinsteiger, Schweinsteiger is one of the best players of all time, though. Like it, it's like it's different for the best players of all time. Sheridan Shakiri is not Bastian Schweinsteiger. And I don't even think Shakiri, Shakiri himself will probably tell you he's not as good as Bastian Schweinsteiger. Yeah, but he's look, I he's a good player, all right. Like I, I think he's already adapted to the league. I don't think like I he keeps saying this, but he's just not being played in the right place. I think you know. So I I I I talked about this on one of the I I actually called into one of the fire. Uh, Twitter spaces they do and I asked uh, Tyler Terrans about it and him and Patrick gave the argument which I which I believe is, is true is that it is better to let Shakiri wander than it is to stick him in a static place and, and I can I can see where they're coming from on that uh, my argument would be, why couldn't he do that while starting on the right? Um, but the the idea is to have him and Chris Mueller playing sort of on the same side, which I could buy. Like, one of the things when, when he finally got into the game against Columbus is that he was uh, favoring the side of the ball where Mueller was and sort of letting Brian Gutierrez play on the weak side with... Um, with fullbacks, which did work, sort of. So so I can buy that tactical argument. I do think, though, I, I still do believe that if the Fire want to win games, it's better to start Gutierrez in the middle and have Shakiri out on the right. And if they have to, and if he wants to move closer to Chris Mueller, uh, that's fine, except you have to deal with the overload. Uh, on the the left hand side or wherever it is, um, but I I do think that I, I I still come away thinking that 
it's better to start Shakiri on the right and Gutierrez in the center. Uh, because Gutierrez seems to have an easier time finding the game. And I think that's something else that you saw against Columbus with Shakiri is that Shakiri didn't really have a touch in the first 20 minutes of the game because Columbus crowded midfield and made it kind of impossible for him to play. So if, if you're going to use Shakiri like that, I think it's better to crowd a sideline and then play the other side where it's open. <laughs> Excuse me. Rather than um, sticking him in the middle and having the open spaces be uh, on both flanks, which makes it difficult to have proper link-up play, if that makes any sense. No, it, it does. And I will actually... Um... I fully 100% agree with you, I think. And, you know, and all due respect to Patrick and, you know, and Tyler as well. I mean, I, I do agree with them that, you know, it is beneficial for Shakiri. Let's just let him roam around. But I also do agree with you even more where you stick him on the right and then just let him roam around there. Because a lot of MLS teams, especially on the East, they like to crowd around in the center. That's By like way, everyone's... By the way, so do the fire. Yeah, that's right. everyone's that's yeah. everyone's expertise. Right. So you would, I, I wish I had a chalkboard, but um, you would basically you would divert part of that crowding around in the center to Shakiri. That basically opens a crack mm-hmm. where you know other players that come in exploit that space and do their thing. Yeah, because you have to concentrate on Shakiri no matter where he is in the on the park, which yeah. means if he's out wide, then you know suddenly there's space in the middle to create, and then maybe Shakiri can beat someone when they turn around to to go back into the middle because oh crap, there's a space there, and then he can he can find you know areas in between the lines that way, and and maybe get into the game. They also made an argument where putting him out wide would give him less touches on the ball, but I actually think that that's a positive. I think Shakiri, uh, obviously you don't want him to disappear for 20 minutes like he did against Columbus, but I think the less touches he has, uh, the more impactful he is. I be, Because if you see him with getting a bunch of touches, he tries to like dribble through players and, and stuff like that. But if he has less touches, he does less of that and, and, you know, doesn't try and win the game by himself. And, and I think that's a, a, a problem at large with the fire is that you've got a bunch of guys who are very talented who try and win the game by themselves. I think that's actually Jairo Torres' problem is that, you know, since he's coming in off the bench, he wants desperately to have a huge impact on the game. But instead of letting the game come to him, he tries to force it. And then you see him dribbling through, trying to dribble through three and four players instead of, you know, making maybe making the smart play and, and finding the open player and, and having an impact on the game where he makes the simple pass to create space in, and, and, you know, stuff like that. I think a lot of the fires players who are supposed to be impact players are trying too hard is the other thing. And I think that's also a coaching thing where you've got to get them to say that simple is best. Play the simple ball. Keep possession. Uh, 
You know, if if you see something downfield, take it, but don't try and overcomplicate it. Yeah, uh, a lot of the a lot of the more prominent players play a lot. Um, they play a lot of hero ball, not in the way you know, um, former fire defender now in Turkey did, but they they try too hard, and mm-hmm. I think I especially now with the season basically over, that should you know. There's not a lot riding on their shoulders. They should just take it easy at this point. And you know the the small off chance that the fire does make the playoffs. Hey, you know that's great for them. But you know for the rest of the season, you know just take it easy since there's really nothing riding on the line other than pride at this point. Just play. Yeah, just play. That's one of the things actually I loved about Duran's performance is that he didn't try and play hero ball, really. You saw him making dirty runs and creating space for his midfielders and getting in. And, and I'm not even mad. Like, you know how we would get mad at Barrich and um, Shabilko, especially, for, for going out wide. And Duran does that as well, except he very quickly understands that if, it, if he goes out wide and it's not there, he doesn't stay there. Right? He'll, he'll come back to the middle and he'll make runs. And sometimes it, it, when it is there, he'll put in a cross through the box that finds Chris Mueller's feet and the ball's in the back of the net. And he wasn't even that wide. He was at, he was at the uh, line of the box. So he was in between the the lines. He was just, you know, on the, the left side of the middle, for lack of a better term, um, on that assist. And and, and one of the things I, I liked about Duran's game is that he was dynamic. He made runs, but he made intelligent runs. And he was never, all, he was almost never offside when, when the pass came to him. He's very good at timing his runs. Which Shabilko has had problems with. You know, I should really get you a Duran jersey for your birthday. <laughs> I really do love him. I think he's great. No, I, I like him too. I think he just needs to, you know, and this applies to other players as well. He just needs a little bit more maturing. And I think that he will finally find his space. Um, you know, I think the more he plays, the more he'll mature. Like, because you saw a lot of times in the first half, he didn't, you know, when things didn't go right, he didn't hang his head. He kept playing, and he played defense. There was a point in the game, I think it was like 15, 20 minutes, where Darlington Nagmi ran at him with the ball. And he stood there and didn't let Darlington Nagmi buy him and also didn't foul him. That's great progress for an 18-year-old who maybe two or three games ago would have lunged out for the ball and committed a foul. He stayed, you know, where he needed to, didn't commit a foul, but also didn't let Columbus do what they wanted in the middle. And that that's the kind of developmental progress that doesn't really show up on a stat sheet, but is one of those things where you, you look at and you say, this kid's got something. And I think Jean Duran has got something. You know, you, you bring up a good point, though. I think this fire should be, shouldn't be should be judged by the stat sheet. 
because there's a lot, you know, I'll be positive for once because I hate being negative all the time. This fire team is really promising. And, you know, like I said just a few moments ago, I mean, you've been season, positive for the second half of this episode, for the entire second half of this episode. Well, I mean, for for next season, this team will blossom. I mean, if, like, let's say this, this same core group of, you know, folks carry over to next season. I think, you know, they'll finally hit their stride. I think they need help at right back. They probably need another center back. And they're going to need someone to replace um, Gaston Jimenez. But other than that, yes. And we'll obviously we'll talk more about that as the season goes on and you start seeing things. And and what's going to make this winter transfer window really difficult is the fact that the World Cup is in November. That's gonna that's gonna screw with pricing and and you know where players end up and, and things like that. So well, that's that's why you you just got the bombs who aren't going to Qatar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think on that bombshell we will end it here for this week's episode of the Hotcast. You can find us on Twitter at the Hotcast. You can find RJ on Twitter at RGA underscore zero two. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, at Ruben's Hesh. Uh, next week, I do not know if we will have a show or not. I am going on vacation Sunday morning. Uh, I'm leaving for Michigan. So, um, if we can record Saturday night after the game, we will. Uh, but I am leaving Sunday morning for Michigan. So, um, whether we have a show or not depends all on that. Anyway. Uh, we will see you next week. Uh, have a great week. And if I don't talk to you next week, um, have a good two weeks. Bye, everybody. Take care.